has been opportunities to again look at our craft and say, well, what is really important and how do we do that better? And our challenge all the way through this, we use Young Jow's Tofu is Not Cheese, is to say every week, what are the things we're learning from this that we can apply back to the classroom when we do come back? Because if we come back and do what we've done before, we've missed an opportunity. Welcome back to a new series on the Learning Lab podcast, where we will be talking about what the future of schools looks like, especially in the wake of a pandemic, what we learned from distance learning and how it's evolved teaching and learning. So, yeah, Bill, we've got some great guests lined up over the next few weeks, including the president of the New Zealand Principals Federation, Mr Perry Rush, education consultant and ex-principal Sandra Jenkins, and RTA Studios architect Moshin Mossa. Awesome. So, Bill, it's mm. nice to have you back. Oh, yeah, it's good to be back. So, yeah, what's been happening over the last few weeks in education around the world? Well, you know, there's the controversy, obviously, in the United States. Mm. Um, that whole federal system is is sort of under strain. And, and, of course, it's people getting caught in the middle of it. Yeah. So, yeah. so that that's the worst thing. And, uh, obviously, there's an election coming up, so mm. everything is predicated on on that all around the world people are trying to loosen up restrictions where they can they want people at school whether it's ready for them not everyone has the luxury of New Zealand no that's true and I was reading today about um, you know places in the Middle East and lots of schools have done you know what they can they've separated their students 1.5 meters you know lots of signage for kids so they understand spatial awareness because you know littleies don't really for those really young ones creating bubbles you know groups of 10 with a teacher no flexibility in the classroom anymore you know they stay put the teachers move around the space i went to uh, and listened to a webinar earlier in the week from learning environments australasia and mm-hmm. um it had some teachers on there um from victoria in australia talking about distance learning and what they've learned and um, you know how they're going about it, and, and the kind of general consensus is, well, we've done it before. We've, they're feeling quite confident about doing it this time round, but obviously, as you were saying, everybody just wants to be back at school. They want some normality in their lives. So I'm hoping that fingers crossed, everybody get to see that in the near future. In the safe conditions. And yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. You don't want to put people's health at risk. As our first guest, we have Kowloon Junior School, Neil O'Reilly, back on the podcast. So uh, you might have heard uh, him before. He was our first guest on our Leading During Times of Crisis series. And after completing a successful academic year in Hong Kong, despite everything, um, when the last few months were spent distance learning and lockdown, we wanted to hear about the success and achievements of all the students and teachers. Neil, so it it feels like a millennium ago that we last spoke, um, and and it was all about heading into it and 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 the first learnings from it. Uh, tell us a bit about the last few months of the academic year and managing distance learning during during that time. It was exciting. We went from what was distance learning, and then we moved into fifty fifty learning, where we had half of our children back for term three. So that was great. So we had term. Two for us, which is from um, basically from Chinese New Year, which is 20th of January, that were thereabouts, through to Easter, we had no children in school, and that was all distance learning, and we went through a very steep learning curve with that. We communicated with our parents lots. We had a lot of really positive and solution-focused um, feedback to our, our surveys and questionnaires. We had about an 80% to 90% hit rate, which was wonderful. 
And through that process, we learned a lot about what we were doing effectively and what we needed to continue to enhance. So that was a, a helpful process and a positive process. And then we got to Easter and we switched into 50-50 learning, which was um, bringing um, half of the, so we've got 900 students, 450 came in one day, 450 came in the next day. And we're fortunate that we've got very big premises, so we were able to spread those 450 out with um, meter spacing between um, desks and, and, and set up our spaces, so they were really successful. Did you use furniture for, that, for the um, spatial? Yeah, we did. So we, we have, and this is where we're fortunate, all of our classrooms open onto a shared space. So we were able to open up our big glass doors that, that access that and um, create zones using furniture. So creating new learning environments um, where typically they, um, children moved independently into those, they became part of what was then a, a learning area or a classroom. So, and, and we're fortunate in Hong Kong that everyone is quite accustomed to wearing masks. So that was never never a, um, a question or, a, or a, um, a point of dispute. And so um, we, we came up with the, the, the motto three M's for success, which was meters matter, masks matter, and my clean hands matter. And we kept our message really simple and really positive. And it was, it was not without its challenges, but it certainly um, the teachers and the students started to get into the swing of that type of learning environment. And was that for all age groups had exactly the same social distancing? Yeah. Um, and and therefore more challenging for secondary schools because secondary students, as you know, they don't typically want to a follow rules or b stay apart from one another. <laughs> I mean, it's it's it was it was ironic that our children would come on buses sitting next to each other and then walk in our gate and we had staff lined up to meet them and greet them and, and as they came in they were reminded about three M's for success so they got off the bus sitting right next to their buddy to have to be a meter apart or next to their brother and sister but they, they managed it well. Oh, that's <laughs> well. great. So we, we changed our, um, our school day, and we um, even with our 50-50, we changed how we ran our day. We didn't have lunch um, time. We just had um, an eating area in the hall. We had to set up our hall like a canteen, and the children had to come in and sit down in straight rows facing the front, no speaking, mask off, eat your food. Um, fascinating, fascinating learning experience, though. It really showed... Um, there were some interesting learnings in there about mindful eating, you know, be appreciative of the food you have and just taking some time to calm and focus on just being present and eating and, and then going back to their learning. So we shortened our school day so that we um, didn't have to put them up with a real challenge of how do I keep apart from my friends when my whole being says get together and hug and play and jump on each other and do yeah. those things. Wow. So what, what were the um, most specific shifts that you had to make during that period? Mm. I mean, the distance learning, the, the, I'll do that first. The, the easiest or the, the most consistent feedback from our parents is that they were looking for more um, Zoom time. We'll just call it Zoom because that's what we ended up using. They wanted yeah. more digital time with the students. And um, so that was something we worked towards. And then the, the difference for us was making sure that that was learning time and not just um, reading through what you're going to be doing for the daytime. You know? mm-hmm. So we, our, our our mantra was to make sure that what we were doing was learning experiences when you had the FaceTime with the students. The, the wonderful outcome of the distance learning time was teachers became far more specific about the learning that they intended to occur. Whether it did or not is another matter, but at least they intended for certain learning to occur and they were more deliberate and specific about that. So, I mean, John, John Hattie would be pleased that people were working very hard to know their impact. You know, they were saying, this is what we intend to do 
and using Google Classroom or Seesaw or any one of those tools, they were then looking at what the children were contributing and asking, well, how does this match up with what we intended? So that, that was a real positive out of distance learning. The other real positive in the change was, and, and I was delighted about this with my background, is people became far more collaborative in their practice. So they, they, they did deprivatize their classrooms because they were creating lessons to share mm. across five classes. And so they became far more collaborative in a positive way by being critical of one another's preparation. So I'm not sure I want to share that. You know, that I'm not quite agreeing with that. Mm. So the sort of conversations that you lust for as an educator where, where people are being those deliberate, um, positive critiques and critical friends of one another's practice, that started to happen in a really positive way. And in, in a number of our year groups, we saw some really positive shifts in, in pedagogy and practice and collaboration because it was necessary because of distance learning. So collaboration amongst the teachers and also the students? Primarily around the teachers. The students' collaboration was, I mean, that was another fascinating area of development and learning because the students were on Google Classroom and on their Zooms and and there are a lot of temptations down the right-hand side of the screen in terms of Google Hangout, Google Meet, Google Chat, and so that was fascinating just to see how the children would collaborate and could they collaborate in a respectful way. So our, one of our um, key characteristics or, or qualities of success is about being res- respectful to self, others in the environment. And that was absolutely tested in the time we had of distance learning. Could children be respectful in a digital environment when the temptation was there to be not respectful just by the things I say, just by, you know, we're talking now, are they actually going to be listening to us or are they doing the chat um, down the side of their screen or are they chatting on their phone? So that really tested um, the integrity of our students and also the, um, <laughs> the quality of the learning provider. Can you keep them interested and motivated? To be fair, that's not um, unique to students though. And, and it, you'd be hard pressed to find adults who sit in on long-term Zoom meetings who aren't actually, because no one can see it, or just doing something on their screen. So there was... It was a learning process for all of us. The feedback was was very positive, and we were fortunate we had solution-focused parents. I'm not sure um, before, when we talked last time, if we'd given out all our devices. We, we gave the devices out so there was no limitation for families at home. And um, generally, it worked well. Our data would tell us that despite the disturbances, despite the situation we're in, that our children's well-being, particularly when we got to 50 school, their engagement and their learning actually made positive progress through the year towards our long-term goal, which we, ha- we had a goal about um, students' learning and, and well-being, and we made positive progress. So from a data point of view, um, quantitative and qualitative, we had positive gains in what should, according to some international political commentators, a terrible time actually turned out to be positive time for um, some of our students, and overall, um, they did well. Would, would you do anything differently? Anything that you spend a lot of time and, and looking back, you think, yeah, I wouldn't, wouldn't go that route again? Absolutely. Right in the midst of it now, because of the, the news um, coming out in Hong Kong just this week and the, the, the growing number of cases, I'm really carefully considering. In fact, the meeting I had before a meeting with you was with some of our team to say, well, as one as we return to normal school, Two is we have 50-50 school and three is we have distance learning again. And for, um, for those, all three, um, our challenge is to say, how do we reimagine? How do we do it better? And for distance learning, absolutely, we, there are things that we will need to do. And um, 
and things we'll need to do differently to ensure the experience and the engagement and the outcomes and the, and the well-being of our students is better. And with our 50-50 school, I think we would, I think there's ways that we can do it better than what we did. And the only way you can um, get to that point is by effectively trialling um, as we did, you know, building the plane in flight, we were trialling it as we went, prototyping as we went and learning from those. We were very upfront with our parents that we would continue to learn with them and we would take their feedback, the feedback from the staff, the feedback from the students and continue to change. So probably I wouldn't say there are things we would do differently because I think the process we used, which was to say, um, let's keep on gathering information and enhancing and tweaking, that's what we're going to continue to do. So there won't be um, wholesale changes, there will be continued tweaking to make sure it's as good as it can be. So um, what do you think your biggest learnings were throughout this time? I think the, the thing I've learned most is, and I sort of knew it, but it's been reinforced, the value and the um, importance of having feedback from parents in particular in this context. And it's, it's not new, but it's reinforced those wonderful things about partnership with family is so critical. So if we're going to be successful, we need to be listening to our families. Um, I, as a leader, need to be listening carefully to what my staff are saying. What's actually happened for them is critically important and listening to the children. So um, listening and then being transparent about what we found out. So we shared back the data every time we um, had our surveys with our parent, which I think there was four in the end. We would share the data back the following week and be really transparent. This is what you've told us. This is where we think we can enhance things. Um, and gathering, we did a combination of parent and student voice in one survey where the parents and the students sat down together and, and gave us a response. And that was fascinating because it also highlighted perhaps that sometimes um, parents and their children have a different perception of, of how things are going for them. Mm. And trying to make learning learning and not just busy stuff. So it's not new. It's reinforcing the important stuff that we should be focused on all the time. Yeah, Those feedback loops are almost like just a good habit to get into, aren't they? But if you're not doing it, then it's hard to, to start it. And, and then the feedback you get is always the, the worst sort of extremes of feedback sometimes. It is. The other challenge with that, though, is making sure that you're doing it in a timely way and a way where parents actually feel like they've been heard. Because if you start to do too much, then you get... Um, I can't remember the exact term for it, but basically a certain level of apathy and, you know, overload, oversaturation with having to do surveys. So it has to be purposeful. So we set timeframes. We said to parents, we won't be taking um, wholesale feedback for another five weeks. So we want, what we want you to do is continue to, to do what was set up because we've listened to the feedback. We want you to see how that works. We are not changing anything in the next five weeks. Mm. So we need to stay the course then we'll get your feedback and then we'll make our next lot of enhancements. So I suppose to answer your question, Kelly, one bit of um, learning I've had is about being really clear about the process and the timelines. Um, it gives reassurance to parents that they know, okay, well, at least for the next five weeks, these things are going to be, this is how it's going to work. And then I'll have a chance to have my say. Mm. And I was so nearly that, I mean, we're fortunate that the feedback has primarily been quite solution focused with a lot of thankfulness rather than criticism. We weren't without criticism. Mm. But generally, parents were solution-focused. Their first thing was, thank you for what you've been doing. We know it's difficult times, and it is really helpful when or if you could try to. Mm. So it, it did allow us, um, for me to be able to say to the teachers, every, every time we got feedback, I'd put it up on the screen for the staff, look, this is what the parents are saying, because teachers can often feel vulnerable that, you know, 
all they hear is the bad stuff. Mm. But it's not the case. If you, if you give people enough opportunity and if you're clear with your processes and timeline, there's actually lots of wonderful affirming feedback in there. So it's important to share that as well. Well, I know as a, as a parent homeschooling for a few weeks, I have such a new... I mean, I always respected teachers, of course, but I have so much respect. I think teachers did such an incredible job and went above and beyond. They really, really did. And it was that pastoral care as well, just checking in with the kids all the time, the extra effort they'd put in to try and make the learning as collaborative and fun and, you know, lots of Zoom meetings and lots of games. My son's eight, so he had lots of games. His teacher dressed up every morning and would have a theme day. I mean, it was phenomenal. I was blown away. I think I looked more forward to the the videos in the morning than he did, but I just, I loved it, and I just thought, I just, hats off, you know, and you could just see all the, they're on Cecil, all their comments all day, and I'm just thinking, how does he even cope with all of this? It's just, yeah. but he was, every child got a response, everything. You know, it was amazing. That was the interesting thing too, and I think there's a couple of really important points in there. I actually think it highlights your outstanding teachers because often you don't see that from home. No. You get of it, but if you've got a teacher doing that on Zoom, they're probably the teacher that would have been doing it in the classroom. Mm. So that so you, you get to highlight um, the, the wonderful teaching. It also um, what became very transparent to parents was how much feedback is my child getting and what sort of feedback is it, which is not a bad thing because you mm. know feedback one of the most important um, factors when it comes to improving students' learning. So that, w- that was fascinating. So the, the way that the teachers connect with the students, the feedback they were giving, but also one of the challenges we had is that um, because of that and because of the, um, I mean, familiarity breeds contempt, doesn't it? I mean, you love your own children, but it, they behave differently for you than they do for the classroom teacher. And, and so... So parents wanted us not only to be doing the regular Zooms with the 30 children, but could you please do an individual Zoom with my child each day? Just <laughs> oh, my gosh. You can understand why the parents thinking, oh, so for the younger children, you know, I have to sit there and try and keep them, make them behave on the screen and do the right thing. So it was fascinating. I'm sure there'll be plenty of thesis written about um, the whole experience and, and what happened and how many parents went insane during that time frame. Yeah, I think you're right. You talked a bit before about opportunities around this because there was, it wasn't all bad. We've kind of got to look at some things and, you know, whether it's technology being embraced more or, as you were saying, that feedback loop and including parents in that conversation. What do you think were some of the, you know, the best opportunities that has been afforded during this time? I think it's, it does come back to that notion of, of personalised learning. Um, you mentioned feedback. So, um, in a classroom, typically in a day, teachers are less likely to give personalised feedback to every child because that's just not the nature of how you work all day, every day. But when it's in black and white or, or digital, or however it is, it's far more transparent. I think that, um, as you mentioned, teachers work so hard to give personalised feedback. So the, the opportunity was to reinforce what are the most important things that support learning. So I can teach till I'm blue in the face. That doesn't mean anyone's learned anything. So you know, our job is to cause learning to occur. So the opportunity is to say, well, what sorts of things caused learning to occur at this time? What sorts of things supported students' well-being? What sorts of things supported students' self-regulation and agency and self-management? And in some ways, they were, they're slightly easier to document and, and record and acknowledge and do something with 
than when you're in a classroom and you've got the face-to-face time with children because so much of it in the classroom, quite rightly, particularly with younger children, is, is um, the conversations and the dialogue. So, yeah, I think there's opportunities there and there has been opportunities to, again, look at our craft and say, well, what is really important and how do we do that better? And our challenge all the way through this, we use young jails, tofu is not cheese, is to say every week, what are the things we're learning from this that we can apply back to the classroom when we do come back? Because if we come back and do what we've done before, we've missed an opportunity. Mm. I, think, I think there's a, um, a misunderstanding in that, and I'm going to digress a wee bit, I think there's a misunderstanding that um, schools are inherently doing something wrong. I think most schools um, in New Zealand and, and IB schools as well around the world are doing so many things that are right that it shouldn't require an across-the-board change to education. I suspect it's very different in schools where their, their whole mantra is delivering information to children who can then sit tests. I totally agree they need to change. But I think one of the opportunities out of this is to reinforce that actually a lot of the things we're doing in our schools in New Zealand, in our schools here in Hong Kong, are really positive and in fact are part of best practice and are good things to continue it. So it's sort of like I said with the parents, it's, it's finding out what things we want to enhance and augment, but let's, I don't think we need to go for across the board change. Because if we did, we should have done beforehand. I think, you know, I think reflective practitioners have been listening to the research and, and doing the best that they could within those constraints of nine to three with the things that happened throughout the day. So opportunity to, to reinforce what we're doing well and enhance the things that we could do better. Well, one of the things that you you mentioned a couple of times, both for the teacher's practice and for uh, the pupils, is this whole deprivatisation. Everything is transparent. I mean, this has surely got to be a a real bonus that um, transparency is superb for the teachers and for the pupils, you know, getting rid of those, you know, little pockets of, of, of um, power abuse or whatever. Yeah, and, and understanding that um, the research is pretty clear on this. If you, want better, if you want better things to happen in school, get teachers to work together and get them to work together, not just after school and meetings, but um, Sia Giovanni talks about this. He says if you want better practice, then it should be teachers being able to see each other while things are happening and give each other feedback and support one another. And, and I think if, it, if, if nothing else, if we've caused, if this has caused our teachers to look at one another's practice, learn from one another, then that's actually the best professional learning you're going to get. We can go to courses till we're blue in the face, but it's actually when you come back and do the business back in school and you've got a colleague next to you who's sort of looking and learning and, and likewise, what a neat opportunity. Yeah. And also uh, parents can see the, the, the work that their children are doing a, a lot easier and, and, and the feedback and, and see the level of what it, that must give reassurance to them too. Yeah, it must do. And it also must be, um, it must be slightly frightening at times for teachers to think that everything that I'm doing is now visible. I mean, even you know, the conversations they're having. Like my wife's an early childhood teacher and just the, the fact, am I being recorded while I'm doing this? Are there people taking photos? What's going on with this? So all of a sudden you are very visible and mm. that's, that's good. Mm. It's good. I feel good, but it's got to be good. 
I have to say, I, do you know, I really liked being a part of the learning and not having the, how was your day, what did you do? Nothing. I mean, you know, it was really nice to see that there was a lot going on and I'm thinking, this is great. But you did that amazing tweet a couple of weeks back and it was a celebratory tweet of the end of the academic year and the outcomes. So could you share a little bit about that with us? Because I think that's a really positive thing to end on. I don't see myself as a huge data analytical person and yet I get really delighted when I can, um, when we can, you get a sense of what's happening in your school and you get a sense of how children are feeling. So, I mean, we're very fortunate to go through the process of having children for a term, then not for a term, and then 50-50. So we could hear from the kids, and, and I was delighted um, that the results from the students themselves said that they were feeling happy just to be back at school. And there's some really interesting part of this. So I've been reading a few bits recently about reminding ourselves that children are, in fact, very resilient and and will bounce back quickly and can and do. So let's not burden them down with woe is me and how bad is the world and it's all going to hell in a handbasket. Let's celebrate the fact that they are resilient little people who love being with their friends and doing fun things and learning. So it was neat for us to see them back and just enjoying being at school and being with their friends, albeit with distance learning and masks and, sorry, 50-50 and masks and meters. So that was really positive. Um, I was also just delighted at their... um, reinforce me again just the deep integrity and and um respectfulness they have towards learning in our school and our community that they want to learn and so it was neat to see the learning that they focused in on and we finished with our pypx which is just a delight because you see these year six children who are 10 11 sitting down and talking you through the methodology of their research uh, the bibliographies uh, the way that they've been really clean and respectful about their data there and it's just it's a delightful way to end the year and we got our own data, which said that, as I mentioned earlier, that our children had made progress. We had a, a, about a 4% gain towards our overall long-term goal. All of those things come down to what you mentioned earlier, Kelly, about the integrity of the teachers. For me, it was also about the partnership with parents and how people got on board and just a determination to make the best of a difficult situation. So it was, a, it was an incredibly positive end to what had been an unprecedented year. And just keep our fingers crossed that we can build on that as we head into the next year. Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, congratulations, because I know that it hasn't been the easiest of years, but, you know, I think educators all around the world just need to take a bow because I think they've done an incredible job, yourself included. So thank you again for catching up with us. Go and enjoy your well-deserved holiday because you definitely deserve a good break. Thank you. Lovely to see you both. Yeah, really good to catch up. Thanks, Neil. Thanks, Neil. So we hope you enjoyed our catch-up with the wonderful Mr Neil O'Reilly. Next week, we have Gratnall's Managing Director and co-author of Planning Learning Spaces, Murray Hudson, on our show. There is a titanic battle going on all over the world to find out what is it we are going to teach our children, what jobs are they going to be doing, what skills, what knowledge do they need. Some countries, uh, and I'm going to include the UK, are just struggling so hard to attempt to rethink it. They find it much easier to just regress into the past, test people within an inch of their lives. But as they say, if you carry on doing what you've always done, you'll carry on guessing what you've always got. Oh, so loads of wonderful insights from Murray on what he's learned from meeting educators and seeing teaching and learning in classrooms all around the world and who's leading the way in innovation. So that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. And if you would like to be on our show 
or have a guest recommendation, then please get in touch. We'll be back in a couple of weeks, but until then, take care. Ka kite anon, cheerio, goodbye from New Zealand.